When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts, an evergreen podcasts network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. This week, I have a story, well, not a traditional horror story. Mm-hmm. I think that this week's subject is unbelievable, unexplainable, macabre. And bizarre. Uh, we are talking about a, uh, you know, this might be paired well with some of the medical horrors that you've shared in episodes like Medieval Poisons. So this is like a body horror sort of thing, like David Cronenbergian. The next words in my outline here are, this week is about true body horror, mm. Carrie. About pushing the human form to limits it was never meant to meet. The Fortean Times says of Tarar, our subject for today's episode, the story of Tarar will raise a frisson of horror in even the most devoted student of the, of the macabre. The bizarre acts of the French glutton are unbelievable, and one would at first be tempted to suspect that his biographer, Professor Percy, was guilty of exaggerating. Mm-hmm. This week, Caroline, we are talking about Tarar, the hungriest man who ever lived. Oh. Uh, Terrar was a French peasant and street performer and eventually inexplicably spy uh, who lived during the revolution. Because if there's anyone super subtle, it's a guy who can't stop eating. Uh, Carrie, to be one of the most fascinating and gruesome individuals in France in the 1790s, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a feat. And I think Terrar is high in the running uh, for that title. We know of Terrar thanks to the account of Pierre-Francois Percy, uh, the Professor Percy who was mentioned in that Fortean Times quote. He was the one-time surgeon-in-chief of Napoleon's Grand Armée, and he wrote about his fascinating former patient in a pamphlet called Memoir sur la polyphagie, Memoir of a polyphage. Mm-hmm. A polyphage is someone who eats everything and anything that they can. Right. Percy himself wrote of his subject... Let a person imagine all that domestic or wild animals, the most filthy and ravenous, are capable of devouring, and they may form some idea of the appetite as well as the wants of Terrare. Wow. Terrare was born near Lyon around 1772. His true birth date is unrecorded, and actually his true name is unrecorded. Did he eat that too? We. <laughs> He may very well have. Uh, we don't know the rest of his name or if Tarar. It probably was not part of his actual name. It's probably a stage name or a nickname. Does it mean anything? Well, there was a popular French like expression, almost an onomatopoeia at the time, Boom Boom Tarar, 
was uh, like explode, how people referred to explosions. Okay. So it could have come from that, but people really aren't sure. As I said, a polyphage is a person who eats anything and everything with no um, apparent, you know, never reaching fullness of any kind. Uh, and Tarar is probably the most intense, the most extreme polyphage ever recorded in history. The unique talent or affliction, which made him famous, first manifested itself early in his life as the boy quickly developed an appetite that could easily take down, I, apparently, a quarter of a slaughtered bull every day. How old was he? Uh, this is by the time he was a teenager. Jeez. Uh, he was eating about 100 pounds of meat, about his entire weight in meat every day. How was he managing that? Was his family well off? No, they weren't. They were peasants. And that is why when he was around 16 or 17, his parents abandoned him because they just couldn't afford to feed Tarar anymore. I'm honestly shocked they made it that long if they were peasants. Yeah, well, I think he was probably doing what he would do for the rest of his life and spending all of his time wandering around rummaging through trash heaps and stealing food from people. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, even from a young age, Tarar sounds like a horror to behold. You might be picturing a fat guy, but you'd be wrong. Um, similar, yeah, Joey Chestnut's a skinny man. Exactly right, and so is Kobayashi. Uh, so yeah, similar to how, Carrie, the top competitive eaters of today are skinny guys who have massively stretched and trained their stomachs and digestive systems to accept too much food. Uh, Tarar was actually pretty slight. At age 17, he only weighed 100 pounds and was average height, which at the time was around 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, That's definitely even underweight. Yeah. If anything, he was too thin. Mm-hmm. He had unusually soft, fair hair. I think I don't think it was blonde. I think like fair brown hair. But when they say fair, like really thin, soft hair. So picture like Hulk Hogan in the 90s. <laughs> That sort of intense blonde, um, he looked he, he looked like kind of a blonde hot dog. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah, so that Hulk Hogan's hair. Tarar also had an abnormally wide mouth uh, to, the, to the tune of about four inches between his jaws when his mouth was fully open. Oh, God. This was surrounded by nearly invisible lips. They were so thin. And filled with teeth that were streaked with brown and black stains. The okay. skin of now there were probably a lot of bad teeth among French peasants of sure. the 1780s, but uh, I think his were bad enough to comment upon at the time. Mm-hmm. The skin of Tarar's cheeks was wrinkled and hung loosely like curtains, ready to stretch back out with his next meal, like a snake. Mm-hmm. He could apparently hold a dozen eggs or apples in his mouth at the same time, like just puffing his cheeks out, like literally like a chipmunk. Eggs and apples are different sizes, too. I agree with that. <laughs> um, so let's say, let's go with the dozen apples. Oh, my God. Because if you can do that, you can definitely do the eggs. Meanwhile, the skin on his body hung so loosely that when Tarar was hungry, he could stretch the skin from his abdomen out and wrap it around his waist like a belt. Oh, okay. Of course, when he ate, his belly would uh, swell and swell until that skin was stretched taut around what appeared to be a large balloon. Okay. 
So was he, I guess it's hard to, to say, but was he feeling like abdominal symptoms of hunger or is it like mental hunger? Um, is it psychological or is this like an like an actual medical thing that he had? Well, we, we are going to try to get into... Obviously, nobody knows what exactly was affecting Tarar, but um, we will tr- get into some of the theories later on in the show. Um, for now, suffice it to say, if it was purely psychological, he would be he wouldn't be a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. He didn't vomit a lot. Well, that's shocking. Yeah, he wasn't like an excessive vomiter. Hmm. Um, but he wasn't a healthy guy. His body was described as being constantly hot to the touch. Oh, God. And he also had really bad body odor. Uh, Tarar stunk, is quoting Dr. Percy again, quote, to such a degree that he could not be endured within the distance of 20 paces. What did it smell like? Was it because he was just eating so much? Uh, yeah, and you can take on some of the, sm- you know, if you eat particularly odiferous foods, like that can onions kind of, or yes, garlic, that can sneak into your uh, sweat. But you know what uh, what a, what body odor smells like. So, but it's like his is like times twenty. Yes, it was just so intense. Jeez. Oh, and again, remember, this is being commented upon at a time when people bathed like once a week. Yeah, people that. were shitting in Versailles at this point. Yeah, and Tarar was, none of the peasants wanted to be around this guy. <laughs> now, here's the thing. This is a sight to behold if he's walking down the street toward you. But it got even worse when he ate. As I said, you've got the... His sw- body odor or just him? Yes. <laughs> you've got the swollen belly and the chipmunk cheeks. Um, but also his eyes would become hideously bloodshot. Why? Just the way his body was trying to process all this food and the funk around him, the smell, yes, would intensify as, this is according to Dr. Percy, a visible vapor could be seen rising from his skin. Like pig pen? Yes! That's the next thing in my notes. This is literally pig pen. Wow. Well, I mean, if he's running so hot and maybe sweating or secreting... (laughs) Uh, some kind of stuff, then it could be sort of evaporating into a steam. Yeah. So that's gross. It is gross. <laughs> um, around this time, when he'd eaten this much, Tarar would become lethargic and stop speaking altogether. Um, not taking... I feel like we're all going to be like that on Thanksgiving, though. Yes, well, we I am every year. N- I- yes, just he... This he, is a very Thanksgiving-appropriate episode. He would become somewhat... You're right. He would become somewhat, uh, like, kind of insensible to other people talking to him uh, and just sit there belching noisily and making sticky swallowing motions with his jaw. Oh, God. Tarar also had chronic diarrhea go figure uh the product of which percy described as quote fetid beyond all conception (sighs) i thought the renaissance poisons and hygienic horrors uh episode was gross this is this is pretty gross yeah how many minutes are we in like 10 oh my god okay And, and it's already reaching um I, I would say Count von Cosell levels of, of disgusting. It's, it's a different kind of disgusting, but it's certainly gross. Now, as I said, 
seemingly impossibly, Tarar was not an excessive vomiter, and he never seemed to gain any weight. Uh, those who knew him said that apart from his eating habits, Tarar showed no sign of any mental illness or unusual behavior, apart from being very apathetic, with what Percy calls, quote, a complete lack of force or ideas. Well, first of all, the eating thing is a mental disorder. So you can't just say, like, aside from that, he's great, because he's not great. Because this is literally his life is insane eating. Oh, yeah, no, he's obviously mentally ill. Right, so, I mean, you just can't say, well, he's fine except for this. But it's interesting that he wasn't otherwise... Well, except for this this apathy or... A, a complete lack of force or ideas. I mean, maybe his life just revolved so much around food and, and finding food that he didn't care about anything else. And uh, once he was out on his own, well, things were going to get even harder for Tarar. He wandered the countryside, stealing meals where he could and hanging out with, apparently, a band of thieves and prostitutes. Mm -hmm. um, it's not... I, the only role he could have filled there would be kind of forming a distraction while people picked pockets in a crowd, you know? Gerard's just standing there on a crowd, shoving live rats into his mouth or whatever. Maybe. I mean, you know, there's also the fact that maybe other people didn't want to hang out with him. No, no yeah, but, but why did the thieves and prostitutes take him from place to place? I mean, maybe he just followed them. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Are you going to finish that muffin? Ew. Are you going to finish that belt? I don't like this impersonation. <laughs> it was while hanging around these thieves and prostitutes that Tarar would find his true calling. No, not the Coney Island hot dog eating contest. That was still a few centuries away. <laughs> he became a street performer. Makes sense. And again, maybe coming out of being a distraction for kind of these uh, pickpockets or something like that. But no, he a, a traveling charlatan magician, kind of a snake oil salesman, mm -hmm. uh, saw Tarar on a corner eating rocks and stuff <laughs> and um, brought him along as a kind of an opening act. And so Tarar would warm up the crowd by eating corks, stones, and live animals. How how did he eat things like stones and, and the bones of animals and stuff without breaking his teeth? Um, well, he would just swallow them whole. His uh, big finale actually... How did he not choke? Uh, well, he had, a, he had a big throat and, and powerful throat muscles from years of swallowing everything he could lay his hands on. So his big finale in this show, Carrie was swallowing a whole basket full of apples one after the other. He would just toss them in the air, catch them in his mouth, and just get them down. A whole basket. Honestly, the most surprising thing about the chronic diarrhea is that anything came out at all, that he wasn't just plugged up by all of these solid foods that he wasn't even chewing. Oh, more on that in a moment. Oh, no. Uh, Tarar gained a particular love, apparently, of snake meat during this time. That was his favorite animal to eat, was live snakes. Um, but he would eat basically anything that the crowd threw to him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for applause. So, after being warmly encouraged by his charlatan boss, and of course getting all these nice snacks and corks to eat free of charge... Mm -hmm. 
Terrar moved to Paris to strike out on his own and made quite a name for himself as a street performer. But to answer your question, Carrie, one night in Paris, he did suffer such a severe intestinal blockage after his act that the crowd had to carry Terrar, moaning in pain, to L'Hôtel Dieu, the Hotel of God, which it wasn't that night, Uh uh, where he was treated with many, many laxatives by a surgeon named Monsieur Gerard. Oh, God. Uh, Terrar was so grateful, he apparently offered to give the doctor a free show by eating his watch and chain. It's like, how about you just take a second, now that I've had you shit out your brains, and stop eating random shit? The doctor told him that, and also that if Terrar did eat his watch, he would cut him open to get it back. Fair enough. Now, in 1792... In France, it was a very tumultuous time, as you'll recall, Carrie, from our guillotine episode. Mm -hmm. And in 1792, the War of the First Coalition started just to make things a little more complex. Uh, They didn't call it the War of the First Coalition at the time. They didn't know there would be like seven more coalitions. Yeah. Uh, If you recall our very brief overview of the French Revolution, Carrie, um, in 92, King Louis XVI had been living basically under house arrest in the Tuileries Palace in Paris since late 1789, when an angry mob of Parisian women had tried to murder his wife. And then, in August 1791, Frederick William I of Prussia and Holy Roman Emperor Leopold II released the Joint Declaration of Pilnitz, which I'll read in its entirety here, because it's only like five sentences. Okay. His Majesty the Emperor and His Majesty the King of Prussia declare together that they regard the actual situation of His Majesty the King of France as a matter of communal interest for all sovereigns of Europe. They hope that that interest will be recognized by the powers whose assistance is called in, and that they won't refuse, together with aforementioned majesties, the most efficacious means for enabling the French king to strengthen, in utmost liberty, the foundations of a monarchical government suiting to the rights of sovereigns and favorable to the well-being of the French. In that case, aforementioned majesties are determined to act promptly and unanimously with the forces necessary for realizing the proposed and communal goal. In expectation, they will give the suitable orders to their troops so that they will be ready to commence activity. Um, So basically, hey, the king of France is in trouble and we think everybody should just get their armies ready in case he needs our help. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the uh, powers that be in France interpreted this as an explicit threat against their revolution and relations between the three powers pretty quickly fell apart and uh, both Prussia and Austria-Hungary were at France's throats by the spring of 1792. Uh, as a reminder, this war went very badly for France at least at first. Mm-hmm. Now, inexplicably, this man of evidently no force or ideas uh, volunteered for the French Revolutionary Army sometime before the levée en masse that would uh, put basically the whole country into uh, the draft. Well, I could imagine that the prospect of a guaranteed three square meals a day was good, but how is he going to get all of the other food he needs? <laughs> Yes, exactly. What could he possibly have hoped to gain in the army? I don't know. Uh, He would have been great in Paris at this time. As the Committee of Public Safety got ramped up, they could have just posted him up next to the guillotine and had him swallow heads. Oh, boy. And he would have, too, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Anything for a a meal. (laughs) Uh, 
Um, anyway, surprising, I think, certainly surprising me, Tarar, um, I, I, they really needed soldiers, I suppose. He passed whatever inspection he needed and got into the army. Just reeking and shitting and swallowing and oh god just the stinkiest man who's who's ever lived uh, and 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 again actively eating garbage basically at all times wow okay um so surprising no one standard military rations were not enough yeah to sate tarar's appetite and so rather than fighting he did he spent most of his time in the army doing favors and chores for other soldiers in exchange for part of their food Okay. And then he would forage through trash piles, and it says, in Percy's notes, dung heaps for more to eat. Oh, no. But nothing was enough. Even spending all of his time in the army foraging for food and doing favors for other people to pay for more food. Um, Before long, Tarar was admitted to the military hospital at Sul-Saint-Foret with extreme exhaustion because he just didn't have enough calories to keep his body going. So his body required an excess of calories. It was medical, not just psychological. That's what I'm saying. Right. Well, I'm saying his body is definitely primed for it, but I didn't know if it was an actual need or just a psychological need. Right. Well, at what point does one become the other? Yeah, I guess. At the hospital, the surgeons did all they could for Tarar, which was basically just give him quadruple rations and let him lay belching in one of their beds. Um, And he still routinely found his way out of his room to sneak around the hospital looking for more food to shove into his gullet. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, did he ever explain what it felt like with this, this compulsion? Just hunger. Uh, he would have looked at you like you were crazy for asking that question. What do you mean? I'm hungry. Yeah, but he must have known it wasn't normal. Yeah, I think so. But he doesn't seem to have really expressed any uh, regret or sadness about his No, condition. I'm just, you know. He was a man of no force or ideas. Okay. You know, he's just walking around shoving stuff into his face whenever it comes by. He's like a grouper fish. Okay. Uh, at the hospital, Tarar ate scraps of food left out by other patients on trays or in garbage cans. Um, and he was also always sneaking out of the building to rummage through uh, trash bins and pick through gutters for refuse. Mm. He was on several occasions caught sneaking into the apothecary, uh, the pharmacy basically at this time, uh, to eat poultices like medicated ointments uh, that were that were meant for packing onto wounds. Did he ever... Uh, another question is, did he ever get sick from what he ate when it's not, like, supposed to be eaten? Like this kind of stuff. It didn't make him sick beyond constipation or diarrhea? Like he never got really ill? Food poisoning? Anything? I would argue that Tarar was constantly really ill. I mean, he didn't live a very long life. But was he like in constant abdominal pain from food poisoning from eating animals alive or whatever? Well, he had diarrhea basically all of the time. So probably. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Um, So eventually, with Tarar sneaking into the... After he was caught eating poultices for a second or third time, the military surgeons at the hospital were just like, 
you know, kind of, we're, we're not even mad. We're just impressed. You know, they were fascinated with Tarar. Like, sure. What are you, Tarar? And they ordered that rather than being returned to active duty, he just stay in the hospital for experimentation. I'm sure he was fine with that as long as they gave him his food. Um, <laughs> and boy, would they ever give him his food, Carrie. Because put in charge of the experimentation on Tarar at the hospital uh, was a Dr. Corville, along with the hospital's surgeon-in-chief at the time, Pierre-Francois Percy. There he is. The man who would later become Tarar's biographer. So it was here that they first came into contact. And Percy and Corville would basically spend the next few months shoving anything they could find down Tarar's throat uh, to see how far they could go. But more on that on the other side of the break. Oh, boy. Support for Ain't It Scary is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And the Performance Package 4.0 has arrived. We got one of these in the mail uh, just the other day, Caroline. And, oh man, is it a game changer. Uh, inside this package, you will find, first of all, inside the lid, it says, Your balls will thank you, which I appreciate. Uh, and then you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver ball toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. And I mean all that stuff I just said, not your testicles, which are <laughs> also referred to as goodies a lot in the Manscaped uh, literature. Mm -hmm. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and, dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight for when you need a more precise shave. It really is just a, um, you know, they're, re they're ready to go on stage. They're ready for Hollywood, these guys. They got a spotlight right on them. Hey, boys. Like they have their own vaudeville act. Absolutely. I'm the left. He's the right. Nice. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with code SCARYSQUAD. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SCARYSQUAD. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Welcome back. Before the break, we were introduced to Tarar, the hungriest man who ever lived. Uh, Caroline, what do you think so far of the tale of this um, very hungry, very smelly French peasant? Um, it's pretty gross. I mean, I've definitely covered some gross stories before, but something about not telling the story, just being told the story, it just makes it grosser. Oh, yeah, I know, because I've been on the other side <laughs> of most of these medical freakery episodes. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for the guy. He obviously had both a psychological and medical compulsion to do this. Yes. Oh, it we, seems like a terrible and miserable way to live, but it's also just disgusting to hear about. Yeah, it's a crazy, gross story, but I don't want to just... I'm not just going, oh, let's laugh at the freak. No, here. no, it's, it's, it's kind of sad, too. If you put yourself in Tarar's shoes and just imagine... Look, no one likes to be starving. No one likes to be hungry. 
and just the idea of an of a hunger that can never be sated, that can never be filled, and in fact that doesn't even seem to um, have any impact on your body when you continue continually eat. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've had instances where I hadn't eaten actual food, say, in days um, for medical reasons. Like, I can only have liquids and stuff um, for several days. And it was, it, it starts to drive you a little crazy. And and that's even before, before thirst comes in. That's just hunger. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's all you think about. You, you try not to concentrate on it or focus on it. Um, and it's, it's just, just miserable. So I feel bad for the guy, for sure. Because it, it's a horrible way to live every single day. Yeah, and at some point in his life, Tarar would actually seek treatment for his condition. But not yet. Hmm. Okay. Um, right now, he was just being experimented on by some military doctors who just wanted to find out what the hell's going on here. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Corville provided, presided over the experiments, as I said, along with Surgeon-in-Chief of the Hospital, Pierre-Francois Percy, who would later do Terrar's biography, the only biography we have on him. Mm-hmm. These two spent months doing just nothing but studying Terrar. And by studying, just like his previous you know, treatment, uh, when I say study, I mostly mean just giving him tons of weird stuff to eat. Listen, if this is something he was going to do anyway, I can't think of any better situation for him right now than just to be able to eat as his job, which it sounds like this kind of is. Yeah, more or less. Um, more or less. But by this time, I guess the hospital staff had like developed some procedures for Tarar, and it was standard practice to uh, physically restrain him whenever there was food around. Because he would just go nuts? Oh, yeah. He would just go for it. <laughs> um, but on one occasion, Dr. Corville purposely led Tarar past a meal that had been laid out for, I guess, 15 workers near the gates of the hospital and uh, didn't res- just let him at it. And mm-hmm. Tarar did what Tarar will do, which was rush over to the table and gobble down the meal, which consisted uh, partly of two huge meat pies and plates of grease and salt, and four gallons of milk uh, within minutes. Now, I don't know if that's literally plates of grease and plates of salt. Like, is that the, supposed to be the butter? I could imagine maybe the salt is like to, to add, but maybe the, the grease is just what was left after he ate all the meat pies. Or do they just mean greasy, salty stuff? Yeah, you know? I don't know. Um, it probably didn't matter to Tarar if these are. Let's just imagine plates. I was, think, I was imagining he was going to eat the plates themselves. So, <laughs> uh, Not yet. He hasn't eaten any, any plates yet. He then, upon finishing the whole meal, immediately fell asleep. And Dr. Corville was there just taking notes the whole time. Uh, he noticed that Tarar's belly was taut and swollen like a massive balloon, mm-hmm. basically the size of the rest of his body. <sighs> Another time, the doctors gave him a cat. Aww. A live cat. Like, just here. Here's a cat. Do whatever you want with this. We're not going to, you know, ask any leading quite. Oh, my God, he's eating it. Just immediately just ate the cat. Yeah. Tarar tore the cat's belly open with his teeth 
and John. Dr- and drank its blood. That's not even food. In front of the doctors. And then proceeded to eat the entire cat except the bones. And they said sometime in the next 30 minutes, like 20 to 30 minutes later, he vomited up the fur and skin. Just the fur and skin like an owl would or something. Um, Presumably before falling back asleep. You know, I'm just going to assume all of these end with Tarar immediately falling back asleep. Like a Snorlax. But a really skinny Genuinely, what... Whatever stopped him from just eating a person? More to come later. Oh, God. Uh, the hospital surgeons at this point seem to almost have made a game of just bringing Tarar all kinds of live animals oh. that he would happily gobble up. I mean, he's back in his days on the streets of Paris at this point doing the act. <laughs> he's playing the hits. And Tarar was eating lizards. Uh, he was eating snakes. You know, he loves to eat snakes. Uh, They brought him puppies, and he ate puppies. One time, the doctors apparently handed Tarar a live eel, and he cracked open its skull with his teeth and then swallowed the whole thing without chewing once. This is really turning my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) We only have a little bit more, Carrie. Tarar is about to get his, his real important purpose in life. Okay. Because after several months of this, um, after several months of, I guess, just going like, what else can we feed him? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, to, by the way, at, at what point are you not doing research anymore? Like, As we, soon as you hand him a cat. Like, we've established he'll eat anything. You know what I yeah. mean? We're not learning that much more when you hand him the puppy. Yeah. And, after several months of eating puppies, Tarar's active duty commander's you know, the guy's back on the front where he was supposed to be. Um, finally started wondering where... Hey, where's that... Um, you remember that saggy, big-mouthed kid? Oh, yeah, because he was so useful in the war. Well, presumably, they suddenly had a bunch of extra rations lying around or something. Um, because they noticed Tarar hadn't come back. And started pressing the hospital to get this soldier back into active service. No, he wasn't a very good soldier. But remember, the war was going very badly. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Corville just wasn't done poking around in this guy's digestive system yet, so he suggested one more experiment to General Alexandre de Beauharnais, one with direct military applications. So the doctors put a document in a box, small wooden box. Picture, you, you roll up a piece of paper, put it in a box. They gave it to Tarar, who ate it immediately. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Tarar, this is going to sound strange, but uh, we've got a mission for you. We're, you're going to take this box and, but he's already eaten it. Okay. Two days later, uh, some incredibly unfortunate military intelligence officer was retrieving the box from Tarar's latest blast of black smelling diarrhea. Yeah, but it's not like the box could have come out full. It did. So we had a. <sighs> He's got a lot of problems. The box did come out. Medically. The box did come out full, and the document inside was still legible. So Dr. Corville suggested that Tarar could be used to safely courier sensitive documents and communiques behind enemy lines without fear of detection. Like a shit pigeon. Because if he was searched, 
you know, the documents are inside him. So and they didn't have Ziplocs back in the day. Like it's just shitting out boxes. So General de Bournay's brought Terrar with him to a gathering of the high command of the army of the Rhine. These are all the military bigwigs. And this general is like, oh, my friends, I've brought to you our next great military weapon. The secret weapon that will help us beat the hated Austrians. And he brings out Terrar mm-hmm. with a box. Then he goes, look, look what this guy can do. And Terrar ate the box on stage in front of all of the uh, generals. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, at this stage, war's going badly. And French generals who lost battles had a Bad habit of getting themselves executed for treason. They'd be called back to Paris and then uh, their heads would be cut off immediately because they were obviously working with the Austrians and that's why they lost the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bournais thought it was a really important thing that he show everyone this idea was going to work right before he went out on a limb. So he brought out Terrar on the stage. He had Terrar swallow the box again in front of the assembled generals. And then they wheeled out a wheelbarrow full of 30 pounds of raw bull's lungs and liver, which they gave to Tarar as a reward. And he immediately consumed that in front of the assembled generals before falling fast asleep once again. Mm-hmm. Okay, one more question. Yep. So he's just eating anything. He's, he's handed something, he immediately eats it. So what's stopping him from like eating his bed at night? eating a chair like is it only he's only in the hospital or or in the military he's only really eating stuff that he's allowed to eat right he's only eating like what's stopping him from eating you know books and clipboards and pencils and all that stuff well i guess because it's not it's not food neither is a box but he ate that immediately well yeah but uh, the, the generals asked him to Right, so there is there is a, a va- the vaguest sorry, there is the vaguest sense of propriety in that he's only eating things he's allowed to, really at this point. Uh, I guess if you like, are you allowed to eat stuff out of the trash? Well, I mean, I guess they were allowing him to. Yeah, I would think they would go up, oh, Mister Terrar. Let's get back to your room. Mm-hmm. They're feeding him puppies. I really don't think they care. Well, that was then and this is now because Terrar was now officially a spy of the Army of the Rhine. And this is real. This is true. This really happened. This really happened. Okay. For his first assignment, Carrie, he swallowed a box with a message for a French colonel who had been captured by the Prussians near Neustadt. Terrar crossed Prussian lines after dark, disguised as a German peasant. Now, I know what you're thinking, and yes, Tarar did really stand out among the German peasantry. Yeah. What with his sagging skin, his gaping mouth, the cloud of fumes and insects following in his footsteps, um, the fact that he didn't speak a single word of German. That'll, that'll be a, a difficult thing, yeah. And presumably was eating literally everything in his path that wasn't bolted down, um, peasants noticed pretty quickly that this guy wasn't supposed to be here and they quickly alerted Prussian authorities and Tarar was arrested before he got more than a few miles over the border. Mm-hmm. So not a great, I mean, not a great spy. He's not subtle, Sean. But here's where the plan comes into action because the soldiers strip searched Tarar, 
and were presumably just like, Ugh, gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they found nothing but weird loose skin. They whipped and interrogated Tarar, trying to find out what he was doing there. But Tarar either bravely refused to betray his mission. Or ate the whip. (laughs) Yeah, or he tried to, but just kind of belched wetly. (laughs) You know, in any case, he didn't tell them what they wanted to know. And he was brought before the local Prussian commander, a General Zogli, and knocked around a little bit more. And he still wouldn't talk. Tarar, you know, keeping, keeping it cool under pressure... Oh, yeah, so cool. And uh, he's like Jack Bauer. You can do anything you want to this guy. He's not going to break. The Prussians put Tarar in a cell and didn't feed him for a day, and Tarar broke. Yep. He explained that he'd been recruited for his unique physical capabilities, and he was carrying vital information for the Revolutionary Army behind enemy lines. One day. The Austrians, uh, sorry, Prussians, chained him to a latrine, and the box finally came out of Tarar 30 hours after being swallowed. So, you know, figured five, six hours after he uh, is chained to the toilet. And now it was a Prussian intelligence officer who was unfortunate enough to be digging through Tarar's, again, famously toxic dumps. Oh, God. Okay. In the end, there was no useful information in the, in the box. There was just a message for the French colonel. They didn't trust Tarar as a spy yet for good reason, right? So um, there was just a message for that French colonel that basically said, hey, we don't know if we can trust this guy, so just let us know if you got this message. <laughs> okay, well. And, and if you did, where are the Prussians? You know, where are they going? Um, so General Zogli was pretty pissed about this, uh, and Tarar was on the gallows with a noose around his neck before the general relented at the last minute. Um, I'll add here. Why didn't they just kill him? Well, why would you kill him? Because he's a prisoner of war? Yeah, you don't kill prisoners of war. You ransom them back. Okay, did he do that? No, they just let him go. Well, then what are you doing? They just beat the shit out of him. Um, I don't know. A, I think this probably was not really the guy changing his mind at the last minute mock executions are like a, a thing you know mm-hmm. they could have mock executed him to really put the fear of god in him and like eh, it'll be real next time i mean there's there's nothing to be afraid of he's already given up everything after a day of not eating um i like to think that general zogli w- was ready to hang tarar and then just the pathetic scene of the rope sinking into his pudding like shoulders <laughs> was too much and the general was just like ah Just kick his ass and let him go. Yeah, maybe. After his brush with death, Tarar was done with military service. Uh, And the military was probably done with him, too. Um, So, desperate to avoid more active duty in any case, Tarar returned to that military hospital and begged Dr. Percy to try and find a cure for his behavior. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you, we have this story for from Dr. Percy, so but I don't see why he would lie about this part. Because he fails, ultimately. He tried everything he could think of to suppress Tarar's appetite, um, which included large doses of laudanum, which was probably the most fun <laughs> of, of the treatments, uh, because the other ones were uh, white wine vinegar, tobacco pills. Well, I guess eating tobacco is supposed to make you sick. Well, 
I mean, nicotine is an appetite suppressant. I mean, even for smokers. Mm-hmm. So that could have been part of the thinking, hmm. like nicotine pills. Um, and this is maybe the the worst one to me: soft boiled eggs. Just a ton of soft boiled eggs. Certainly, the worst one to me. Well, untenable for you. Yeah, I hate eggs. <laughs> um, the doctor tried controlled diets, but Tarar would just sneak out of the hospital at night and... Eat the paint chips off the wall. Well, I mean, again, it was always organic food, but uh, uh, I mean organic <laughs> material. I don't mean... I eat anything as long as it's organic. I don't mean organic. You know, <laughs> I mean not metal or stone. He would scavenge awful from outside butcher shops. Like, just go through the garbage cans at butcher shops and get the intestines and stuff they'd thrown out. Uh, the pig hooves and, and heads and things. And uh, fighting stray dogs for roadkill and garbage in alleyways. Percy said by this time, quote, The cats and dogs fled in terror at his aspect, as if they had anticipated the kind of fate he was preparing for them. Well, he probably smelled like he eats cats and dogs. <laughs> yes. So. That's a very specific smell. Yeah. Uh, during this time, Terrar was also back to eating poultices. That's what's going to happen when you're in the hospital. And worse, he was caught several times drinking from patients who were undergoing bloodletting. So somebody's unconscious, just lying uh, on a table, having some blood drained, and he would come and like drink, drink from the, the bowl the blood was draining into. Yeah. Uh, and he was caught several times trying to eat bodies in the morgue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, around this time other doctors started going hey i think this guy's mentally ill we should probably yeah. send him to an asylum because he's obviously not like getting better here mm-hmm. um, but percy was fascinated and wanted to continue the experiments as long as he could and this lasted until sometime in 1794 when a 14 month old child went missing in the hospital. Now, was this child being treated? Why Why was the kid there? Uh, yeah, the kid was, yes, I believe, being treated. Okay. And then the kid was gone, and Tarar was immediately suspected, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it would have fallen on Dr. Percy to defend him. Nobody else was going to. But even he was like, yeah, he probably did it. What did Tarar say when they asked him? <laughs> Terrar's never quoted as saying anything. I think he mostly just shoved more food in his mouth. Well, then they should just starve him out until he admits uh, if he did it or not. Hospital staff chased... It'll probably take two hours. Uh, they, they had no proof against him, but the hospital staff chased Terrar out of the building, and he would never be seen around Salt Souffre ever again. Dr. Percy probably thought this would be the last he would ever see of Terrar. Mm-hmm. But the two would cross paths one more time. In 1798, four years later, Percy was contacted by Monsieur Tessier, the head surgeon of Versailles Hospital. And Tessier said, well, we've got a very ill patient here who really wants to see you. And naturally, it was Terrar, weak and bedridden, and relieved to see Percy. He explained to his old doctor that he had swallowed a golden fork. He was pretty sure it was about two years ago, and he was certain that was causing his current pain. And he figured if anybody knew how to get it, get it out, it would be Percy. 
Okay. Um, Percy could tell immediately upon looking at him that Terrar was not suffering from a golden fork in his belly, but actually from late stage consumption. Mm. And uh, indeed, Terrar was dying of tuberculosis. A month later, he developed what's described as continuous diarrhea and died shortly after. He was about 26 years old. Jesus. I mean, what a life. He really packed it in. Yeah. Poor choice of words. He sure packed it in, John. Oi. Terrar's corpse is said to have rotted quickly. But, you know, when I read that, I thought, he smelled so bad in life, who would be able to t- tell? Well, he's, he was rot. just actively rotting well, as he, he was alive. Um, in any case, the hospital surgeons refused to dissect him. Um, but Tessier, who again was the chief surgeon at Versailles, insisted on having an autopsy done, uh, both to see how he differed from the norm and whether that golden fork was actually in there. Mm-hmm. The doctors found that Terrar's gullet was abnormally wide. When they held his mouth open, they could see down a broad channel straight to the stomach. Oh, my God. Now quoting directly from Percy's memoir, the entrails were putrefied, confounded together, and immersed in pus. The liver was excessively large, void of consistence, and in a putrescent state. The gallbladder was of considerable magnitude. The stomach in a lax state, and having ulcerated patches dispersed about it, covered almost the whole of the abdominal region. The golden fork was never found. Well, gold's a soft metal. Maybe it was digested. Whew. So Percy thinks that he did eat the baby. Yeah, well, certainly Percy couldn't come up with any good defense for him when everybody else was like, this guy's gotta go. And there was... No other possible explanation that no, was no found? No other suspects. Nobody was arrested for that baby's death. Wow. So I think it's safe to say this guy, certainly he might have eaten a baby. And it's believable that he ate a baby. I think so. Yeah. You Do you, do you think it's believable? I, I think it's possible, yeah. If he's eating live animals, I, I'm just surprised it took him that long. If he must have been around other people. Um, How big a step is it from puppy to baby, really? For him, probably not a huge step. It was probably more about getting in trouble than it was about if he should do it or not. I think he was so possibly psychotic from his hunger, which again, it's like not drinking, not eating, not being able to sleep. Like it drives you a little crazy. Yeah. So imagine that on a macro scale. Um, He was probably pretty unwell and he had no sense of right or wrong about it it was just need sustenance need food doesn't matter what it is who it is whatever and that's what makes this a horror story yeah you know he's feeding that need he's feeding his um sort of baser urges to the point of becoming like a human monster there's a, a horror movie coming out that's kind of like that where the hellraiser no it's um is is tarara cenobite i think he would definitely be a cenobite for sure like a gluttonous cenobite but there's a movie coming out i forget what it's called because it hasn't come out yet but it's about like 
this younger girl who you find out she only um, gets any sense of being full or whatever by eating like people meat. And then there are other people like this. And, you know, there's like an older guy who, who has this issue where he can only be satisfied by cannibalism. And so he like takes her under his wing to teach her how to do this. But it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's inspired by this story because that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's, that's dark too. But at least that's fiction. Yeah. But I mean, there are, you know, if you see My Strange Addiction, there are people for whatever reason who eat things like the foam in sofas or um, talc, gasoline. Some of these people have uh, pica, which is when you eat specifically like stone or um, calcium uh, kinds of, you know, materials or whatever, because you, you don't have enough calcium. A lot of pregnant women develop pica, which is like they want, they have this like intense urge to eat dirt and like stuff like that because they have a deficiency in calcium because of pregnancy. Um, But this is just like, he had that for everything. And it was on a humongous scale where he could never be satiated. Yeah. Um, as I said before, the broad term is polyphagia. Yeah. Which is just medical jargon for any, like for a behavioral disorder of uncontrollable eating and hunger with mm-hmm. no fullness. Mm-hmm. It's not really usually a standalone condition. It's like a symptom of some other underlying problem. Mm-hmm. And a couple of different things have been um, thrown out over the years for Tarar's specific case. There's never been a case exactly like Tarar's. And there probably could be, and certainly I would say probably are more than one thing going on here. Um, But it has been suggested that he could have been suffering from severe hyperthyroidism. Mm -hmm. So excessive thyroid hormone production from his thyroid gland. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if his metabolism, especially, and his hormones were just so crazy, like intense and and, and quick turnover and all that because he is running hot. Right. So exactly. And so excessive thyroid production would give you an increased metabolism and severe weight loss. And the symptoms of hyperthyroidism include muscle weakness, diarrhea, extreme appetite, rapid weight loss, profuse sweating, intolerance to heat, and fine hair. Yeah. And those are all very, I mean, the fine hair is a really specific thing. I mean, he definitely, to me, he definitely had something like that, but it's probably in conjunction with a mental illness and also other disorders to allow him to have the stomach that he did and never put on the weight and, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, some have suggested, as far as the brain stuff goes, um, some have suggested a tumor or an injury in childhood uh, could have left him with a damaged amygdala or hypothalamus. Both parts of the brain um, have, you know, interactions with your appetite. And in particular, damaged amygdalas can and have caused polyphagia in animals. So... That's a yeah. thing, but this wasn't just behavioral, right? So we know it's not just a head injury or a tumor because... But he... there is a behavioral aspect. It seems like it did get worse after puberty, so it might have to do with hormones. Yep. that's Yeah, that's a good point. 
but he wasn't vomiting up most of his food and he yeah. wasn't gaining weight. So something was definitely physically wrong as well as uh, uh, with the brain. Well, especially the not puking and stuff. You know, obviously, the other side of things, his body is not reacting well to this kind of stuff. But he should be puking if he's eating live animals and and, and rocks and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, if he's not, then, yeah, it seems like there is something else going on. Um, there's Prater-Willi syndrome. That's a rare genetic disorder that also, kind of similar to a damaged amygdala or something, causes... Uh, uncontrolled eating with no feeling of fullness. But again, the health complications that go along with that syndrome are usually obesity related because mm-hmm. people can't stop eating. Um, but maybe some um, brain damage or a, like a behavioral genetic condition along with something else like an intestinal parasite, for example, mm-hmm. if he had a tapeworm or several uh, parasites that were taking this food from him mm-hmm. you know well, now you got a stew going oh god i don't want to think about his stew uh so so what do you what do you think carrie that is the horrible story of tarar i feel bad for the guy until he starts eating live animals and then people and then i'm out you don't feel bad as soon as he eats the cat you're out yeah i guess I he was so. he was eating live snakes in the because uh, he knew it wasn't gonna help might as well have eaten something else. Yeah, but he was hungry. Well, that's too bad, John. I don't know what to tell you. I don't advocate eating live cats or dead cats. And I think we can both agree on that as an ain't it scary belief. You shouldn't eat cats or dogs. Yeah, or babies. Or, or Certainly or... babies. Okay. All right, so we're both clear on that one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's me and my boo. The Mirror reports that nearly a dozen students at the Agricultural Technical Institute in Hato, Colombia, inexplicably collapsed and were found unconscious after playing with the Ouija board late last month. The students, aged between 13 and 17, were discovered collapsed in a corridor after suffering violent vomiting and muscle spasms. Violent vomiting? (sighs) What is this, tarar? I know. They were rushed to the hospital and have all recovered, but it is alleged that the kids had been playing with a Ouija board just prior to the event. Medics, however, have said that they believe their symptoms were due to food poisoning. 
Mayor of Haito, Jose Pablo Tolosa Rondon, (laughs) stated to the press, quote, the children were passed out. At the time they were found, they were short of breath and thick drool was coming out of their mouths. It is not ruled out that it was the Ouija board, but that is part (laughs) of the investigation. Others say that they consumed water from a container. Others say that they came from a pool and had been given something to eat. And um, upon interviewing the students, it was concluded that they had all drunk water from the same glass. So 11 kids drinking from the same glass in the time of COVID just might be scarier than demonic possession. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google Voice number 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We sure will. And special thanks to our beloved top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Ira, and our newest patron, Kate Pope, is probably caught up with this feed by now, if I had to guess. <laughs> and it was great meeting you this weekend at Paracon, Kate. It sure was, and thanks for coming. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McKay, music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.